it's a new day. Thank you that your mercies are new, Lord. And God, today we just lift our eyes to you, Lord, um, and thank you that you are in control, Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, we're here to worship you this morning and to to praise your name, to uh, encourage our fellow man and to fellowship together, Lord Jesus. God, you said in your word, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together uh, as we see the day approaching. And Lord, we're just uh, here uh, this morning uh, because of that. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the work of the cross and and the blood that you shed. And uh, Lord, we just yield ourselves to you and Ask that your Holy Spirit would come and settle in our hearts this morning and have free reign in our lives. We want to see Jesus. We want to see uh, you, Lord, be high and lifted up. We want to see your glory. And uh, thank you, Father, for the work that you've done. Pray for those who are tuning in via live stream. Bless them. Be with them, their families. Bless their day, we ask, Lord. And we just give you thanks for this time that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. I was blessed this morning uh, reading in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, for we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Uh, Me and my wife were talking the other day. You know, think about it. When Jesus actually comes and sits on the throne in Jerusalem and he's reigning, like how awesome will that be? Um, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. So I thought of that chorus, the sacrifice of praise. Let's go ahead and sing it with all our hearts. I don't think we have the lyrics this morning, but I think we all know this by heart. Sounds like my battery's dying. You know what? I'm just going to put a new one in there real quick before we get started. Just hang on a second. Oh, there we go. All right. Back in business. A sacrifice of praise to the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise. Yes. 
got a testimony this morning. Uh, my wife's not up here with me, but that's, that's uh, because there's a new life that's born into the world this morning, and uh, it's always exciting. I'm happy for her that she gets to uh, witness so much of that and help, and uh, it's such a blessing. So, praising the Lord with them.
be seated. Amen. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else could make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? Only a holy God. Amen. Let's sing that this morning. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else could make every king bow down?
Does anyone else have a testimony or a prayer request? What's your son's name? John and your grandson? Tony. Okay. Let's lift them up in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we lift up John and Tony, Lord. Uh, Tony is in the ICU on oxygen, Lord. We ask that your um, your spirit would just touch and heal. And Lord, whatever's the ailment, God, we pray against the spirit of fear. We pray against the spirit of um, just ailment and, and fear, Lord. I pray that um, Lord John and Tony would look to you and know that you are on the throne and that there is hope, and I uh, thank you for uh, that you are the healer, that you are the one.
that we can look to, Lord, and, and no matter what you allow to happen, Lord, you can use it for your glory, and um, thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'll have you all stand up. I think you all sing a little better when you're standing up. So if you're able to, if you're not able to stand, that's fine. But go ahead and stand with me and let's sing How Great Is Our God.
And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we lift up the Hershey family as they travel home today. And uh, Lord, if they're not feeling well, Lord, I just pray for you to give them sustenance and grace. It's nothing like the comfort of home, but Lord, there's even more so nothing like the comfort of knowing your love and your care in our lives and knowing that uh, you do care and that you would just touch them. Be with um, John and Sarah, Lord, uh, just bless them as they're stepping out in faith and and moving over here. Lord, I pray that everything would fall in place, that you would just open the way and provide. And thank you for all that you have done, Lord, and continue to uh, lead them and guide them as they walk in your will for their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll do one more song. Oh, let the ancient words in.
Yes, Lord, we come to you, uh, Lord. Thank you for those ancient words. And Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear your word today. They would sink in, Lord, and, um, and change us, Lord Jesus. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated, and I will turn the time over. Thank you, Jason, for leading us in praise and worship, in spite of uh, missing the other, what, four people of the team. Did a great job. Thank you for doing that. Um, I guess since Carrie's not here, you kids are going to have to hold your energy till next Sunday when he's here to... uh, lead you guys in songs again and uh, I guess that'll give I'll let one of two things happen Phil can preach an extra long message or we can uh, break early for lunch <laughs> so uh, it's good to have you all here and uh, thinking this week kind of along the, the same lines as as Phil was sharing, um, you know, no matter no matter what happens, Christ is still the Christ is still the King. No matter what, that doesn't change. There's nothing that, that happens that surprises Him, whether uh, politically or throughout this world. Um, you know, I think sometimes we we get wrapped up in our own little world, if you will, or even in our own uh, country and realize that, you know, God is, is God of the entire creation, not just of where we are or not just of this country, but he, he orchestrates his, his plan. No matter the decisions of man, he orchestrates his plan throughout the whole world. And, and that's, that's a confidence that we can have no matter what. And the scriptures say, you know, if, if, all, if the only thing we have hope in is in this life, we're, we are of all men most miserable. It's, it's nothing but misery if we, if we only have hope in this life. And, and I think that's why... You see, that's why you see so much depression. That's why you see so much suicide. And especially with, with the things that have happened throughout this year, um, rates of suicide and clinical depression and all these things are just off the charts this year. Why is that? I think it's in large part because people only have hope in this life. And if we have hope only in this life, we, it's going to be... Miserable life, but but we serve a God that is in control, and and we can live a life 
filled with joy and a, and a positive life here. It doesn't have to be uh, a miserable life. It can be a joyous, prosperous life in spite of anything we might go through. So that's, that's what I'm thankful for this morning. Give you all one last chance to share what's on your mind or any prayer requests or uh, anything like that that you might have before I turn it over to Phil. If you want to uh, uh, not hear Phil preach a long sermon, this is your chance to talk. Yes, Tim. Doug? Okay. that he does hear and answer prayer let's pray thank you father for sparing the life of tim's mother and and the way you work that with all the the complications of of covid and all these other things lord you saw fit to spare her life and i i pray that through that father that she would be drawn close to you closer to you and and see you that you alone are the one that brought healing and strength into her life i thank you for that blessing i pray also for doug i pray father that you would touch him this morning and even at a at a relatively young age suffering from arthritis i pray father that you would fill him with your peace and joy most of all father and that his strength would be found in you but that you would also strengthen his physical body and and give him relief from the pain and grant him healing according to your will father thank you that you do hear and answer our prayers and that you are a god that cares and that heals and so we commit him to you father thank you in jesus name amen anyone else
You know, I, that blesses me too, to see that, you know, so often we think, well, you know, we, we serve the Lord, and I, like you said, you, you can't serve two masters, but sometimes we get this idea that serving Christ is this, uh, it's this high and lofty thing that's kind of separate from our daily life. Some, sometimes it, it's just a mind thing, and, and it can be hard to balance that, but truly serving Christ then directs your steps in your in your physical life, in your day-to-day living, in even the mundane things, and it's that serving Christ then that brings along these steps of selling a house, moving, buying a house, things that the world does every day and, and takes for granted. You don't really think about that so much as doing something for Christ or that's, you know, I'm, I'm serving Christ this way. But, but it is. If you are really truly serving him, he directs all those areas of your life. It's not, uh, it's not something that uh, is divided. You know, uh, years ago, I'm sure Phil remembers this, it's a sermon series preached probably 11, 12 years ago totally changed my life, uh, living an undivided life, I believe it was called, years ago. Um, should uh, pull up your notes on that again sometime. That was, that was powerful. Um, our, our life is, is not divided. Living, living for Christ is not separate from living our daily life. It encompasses all of it. <laughs> Anything specific that we can pray for you on? We need that. Amen. Amen. Well, those are the practical things that the Lord cares about.
would strengthen their faith as they start their new business. We also pray that you would bless them with customers and with um, sales, and you would open doors, Lord, for them as they take this step out um, and trust you with their business. Father, I pray that you would strengthen their marriage through this time, that you would strengthen their faith in you, that they would be able to, as Maggie said, continue to pray together and pray as a family and trust in you with all their heart. Because you are their God and you will supply their needs and direct their steps when they trust themselves into your loving care. So we thank you for them and pray that you would bless them. And also, Lord, that you would give them courage and encourage them as they take this, this journey of faith, Lord. Would you lift them up and fill them with your joy and encourage them with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. If there's nothing else, as usual, we have a lunch following the service, so please stay around for that and uh, continue our fellowship uh, after the sermon. In the meantime, we'll turn it over to Phil. Anthony, what is what is Matt's last name? Matt, that works at Eshes. Matt and Marissa. Griper. Riper. So he'll be sharing the word with us next Sunday, by the way. Um, I don't know how many of you know Matt, but Matt and Marissa have, they go to Windsor Christian Fellowship. Uh, and we've, Katie and I have gotten to know them uh, pretty well. And I know some of you others have as well. Anthony works with him. And uh, he's a dear brother. He's a blessing. And he's on fire for the Lord. And I've always just been blessed with his zeal and his love for Jesus. So he'll be here sharing the word with us next Sunday and his, ter his testimony, his personal testimony of, of his journey to faith and, and to Christ. So instead of me preaching next Sunday, he'll be the one sharing. You can pray for him at that. You may turn your Bibles with me to John, the Gospel of John. We're going through um, the Gospel of John together. And I was uh, deeply challenged and well what does that word really mean i think it means different things to us when someone sets out a race in front of you how many of you guys have ever run a 5k that's a short race a few of us have huh <laughs> okay well we as a family last year decided we're going to run some 5ks and uh, the boys loved it <laughs> not necessarily uh, but we I think we ran three did we run three last year together and you know uh, that's what I call a challenge so there's people that come together and there's this distance that they want you to run and they have marked out and Jason was there he was running with us and some others and at the first 
oh, I don't know, quarter mile, you're feeling energetic and ready to go, and Addie isn't here this morning, Addie and Abe, but I remember running the last 5K, I think we ran, we, they were running with us, and I was feeling super energetic and ahead of the pack and passing other people along, you know, and about quarter way we started, the, the hill started from downhill, started going uphill, and my legs started feeling, it's hurting, and <sighs> my breathing, I was starting to breathe for air, and here comes Addie and Abe just just trucking past me like it was a breeze. I was like, what? They can't pass. Well, I excused myself. I'm an old man after all. They're kids. That's what you call a challenge, right? Something that's set in front of you that you need endurance to get through. And that moment, I knew I needed endurance to finish that race well. I did finish third in my age group, by the way. So I comforted myself a little bit with that. This word that I want to give you this morning is not a word of comfort necessarily. It's first of all a word that will challenge you. It challenged me and I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to set in front of his people a work that is still to be done and In order for you and I to do what the Holy Spirit still needs done on earth today, this next week, in our time, He needs to challenge us. He needs to set a word in front of us that will convict us deeply and inspire us greatly so that we engage in this race so that we engage in the work he has in front of us in John chapter 5 Jesus gives us an amazing and awesome truth verse 24 truly truly and you'll notice if you go through the gospels note sometime Every verse where Jesus begins a subject by saying, truly, truly. Now, sometimes we as parents, we need to emphasize something to our children, right? If you, if you really want to get your point across to someone, you begin to like, maybe you say it twice. Maybe, you, maybe as parents, you use a different tone of voice, you know, like, First time you say, get out of bed, son or daughter. Hey, come on, it's time to get up. You say it in a nice, gentle voice and you you kiss them and you go, okay, hey, good morning, honey. It's time to get up. But once you've said it the third time, the tone changes a bit, right? Honey, I'm serious. It's time to get up out of bed now. Come on. This is the tone Jesus is speaking to you and I. Truly, truly, I'm telling you. It's not a suggestion. It's the truth. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Did you get that? Well, you did if you actually passed today 
We live in a year where many people have passed away. That's how we call it, right? When they leave their life on earth and they pass into something else. They're not here any longer. You don't get to talk to them. You don't get to see them. You don't get to engage with them. They pass away, we say. They pass out of life into death. But Jesus has different words, another passing that he wants to tell you and I about, truly, truly. It's not passing away through death. It is passing from death into life. Did you pass that way, dear brother, sister? If you did, then you have passed away from judgment into eternal life. And this is a, a truth that will affect everyone. Everyone. No one is exempt. Just like none of us are exempt from physical death. So no one is exempt from this truth either. And that's why it's a truly, truly, I say to you from Jesus. To pass out of death into life. Again, verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you. An hour is coming and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself. Even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority, the son, authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Did you get that? The reason that Jesus has the authority to execute judgment on us people is because he's one of us. He is the son of man. He's not only God. He's God and man. And so he has the authority to execute judgment on man. Verse 22, backing up into verse 22. For not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son. Jesus has the authority to judge me. And you. Have you given him that authority in your life? He does have it. And he will do it. But if you and I want to pass from judgment into eternal life today, we must give him that authority now. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the days in the wilderness. But come and hear his voice of judgment in your life today. And... If you hear his voice and allow him to judge your life, he will usher you. You know what an usher is? An usher, now in this church, we don't have ushers per se. Maybe as we get bigger, we might need that someday. But an usher is oftentimes, especially at weddings or large gatherings, is a guy who meets someone at the door and he says, come on up here. Here's a seat. Take a seat. He ushers you into a place 
and it tells you where to sit down. Now, when I was a kid, we had ushers regularly every Sunday at church. That was just a thing we did. Especially when I was not too young in my teenage years. Teenagers, for some reason, like to sit in the back of the church. I don't know why, but I've noticed this when I go travel and preach in other places, and even here sometimes. Young people like to kind of come in last and sit somewhere in the back. Well, that was me. I wanted to come in about 15 minutes after the church started, and I wanted to just find a seat in the back somewhere. Especially when I didn't really want the preacher to look at me and talk to me too directly. I had something in my heart that I just kind of liked and wanted to stay comfortable that way. So one Sunday morning, as I was coming in the door, the usher says, hey, come on in. Greets me. How are you doing, Phil? Come on up. And he walks up, and I'm like, mm-mm. And I'm sitting in the back. I go slide in the back chair. Well, this usher, he was a good man. He goes, and he just keeps on walking up here, and he stands around. There's a big crowd in the church, and he goes, <laughs> oh boy, what was I going to do? My face is starting to get beat red, and I was like, okay, I better get up and follow the usher. Because everybody was going around, who's he doing that to? An usher is someone who brings you in and sits you down and welcomes you. Jesus is the only usher in God's kingdom who can take you and I out of our sentence of death life and usher us into eternal life. Don't you want to meet him now before you lay on your deathbed and take your last breath and meet him then at his great white throne judgment? I want to meet him today because today he doesn't sit on his great white throne judgment. Today he acts as a high priest. And he comes to make atonement for my sin. He comes to bring me into the presence of God. And 1 John chapter 2 says, If we have sinned, he becomes the propitiation for our sin. And we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He becomes my defense attorney. He's defending me before God. That's the Jesus I want to meet. And if you allow him to judge you today, allow him to speak his word of truth into your heart, and we repent from our sin, and we come to Him. He is our advocate. But if we do not, if we do as they did in the wilderness, and harden our hearts when we hear His voice, and go our own stubborn ways, one day we will meet Him on His great white throne of judgment, and He will not be our advocate. He will be our judge. For just as the Father has life in himself, verse 26, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice. 
and shall come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. You see the difference? One are resurrected to Jesus Christ and face judgment. He is their judge. Others don't face his judgment. Why not? Because he has been their judge already. Their sins, as Paul tells Timothy, have gone before them to judgment. But others, their sins follow them into the grave. And their sins lie dormant, waiting for this day. But when they're resurrected, judgment awaits them. Jesus said... In verse 30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I do not seek my own will. I don't know about you, but when I stand to be judged by someone, I don't want to stand in front of a selfish judge. I want to stand in front of a judge who honors the law. And who's going to judge me according to the law. Not according to some pet peeve he may have about the law. Jesus only judges according to the law of God. He is just. He is right. And his judgment is true. You don't have to worry that he has some pet peeve against you. And he has something that he will hold against you because of what you did to him or said about him sometime in your life or how you disappointed him somewhere along the way. No, this is Jesus who said these words. You can speak anything against me and it will be forgiven you. Did you know Jesus said that? He did. You can speak anything against the son of man and it will be forgiven you. He will not hold us according to some slight that he felt from us or disappointment he has with us. His judgment is just because I do not seek my own will. But as I hear, I judge. But he seeks the will of him who sent me, the Father's will. If I alone bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that... The testimony which he bears of me is true. Many years ago, in the 1700s, there was a man named Jonathan Edwards. Have you heard of him? Jonathan Edwards was a preacher, and he preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. There's a book, actually, that they wrote. Uh, He wrote this sermon out, and you can buy the book if you like. I'm going to read a little bit to you some of what he wrote. And the reason I'm going to is because we live in the world that won't read that book. You know why they don't read it? Because they don't believe it. They refuse to come to judgment because they believe that Jesus is not a judge. That he doesn't judge anyone. We live 
dear friends, in a Christian world that does not agree with Jonathan Edwards. And I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I can tell you that your own life either agrees with it or disagrees with it by how you live. Because if you believe that Jesus is your judge and that what he said is true, all judgment has been given to him, you will come to him and allow him to judge you. And so your own life testifies whether you believe this to be true or whether you have bought a cheap ticket to heaven by the proclamation of what Someone once called back in the 1940s, cheap grace, cheap grace. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you've heard his name. He was a German man who was a preacher of the gospel under Hitler's regime and died for his faith. But he cried out to the church in his day that was already believing this gospel that you can just simply come to Jesus and receive forgiveness of your sins without any repentance or without any claim that Jesus will put upon you. But Jesus is somehow this benevolent Santa Claus. God's like a big fat Santa Claus dressed in a red suit, just ready to give everybody toys and walks throughout the world going, ho, ho, ho. Anybody want some free gifts? Come on, kids. Have you been nice or naughty? That's not the God I serve, and it's not the Jesus that we're reading about. That's a fake Jesus that Christians have made in their own minds. And one day, they'll wake up to a resurrection of judgment. And they'll be shocked. Will you? You will be. If you won't come to judgment now. To Jesus. And allow him to judge your life now. This Christianity does not believe that God is angry at sin. We live in a Christian world that proclaims that God loves the sinners. And they stop there. God loves sinners. Oh, he does love the sinner. But he hates the sin. And if the sinner continues to sin, he doesn't love the sinner. You believe that? Or do you think, well, wait a minute, Phil. You want to take that back while you can? I won't take it back. It's the word of God. And I'll show you. That God in his word doesn't say, I love the sinner. He says, I'm angry and you're a child of wrath. And you will face my fiery judgment one day. Unless, unless, like Jonathan Edwards says, you come to judgment now before God. And allow him to judge your life and come to repentance from your sin and allow Jesus to do this. Pass you, usher you out of death into life today. Now, while you live this life, then you will one day resurrect into eternal life and there will be no judgment. That's right. 
You won't be resurrected to judgment like others because you already have been judged by the judge of all the earth. His name is Jesus. But he has a ministry that is an advocate for you. A high priest for you. And he can take away your sin. Jonathan Edwards said this. There are in the souls of wicked men those hellish principles reigning that would presently kindle and flame out into hellfire if it were not for God's restraints. There is laid in the very nature of carnal men a foundation for the torments of hell. There are those corrupt principles in reigning power in them and in full possession of them that are seeds of hellfire. These principles are active and powerful and exceedingly violent in their nature. And if it were not for the restraining hand of God upon them, they would soon break out they would flame out after the same manner as the same corruptions, the same enmity does in the hearts of damned souls and would beget the same torments in them as they do in them. The souls of the wicked are in Scripture compared to a troubled sea, Isaiah 57 verse 20. For the present God restrains their wickedness by his mighty power as he does the raging waves of the troubled sea, saying, Hitherto shalt thou come and no further, Job 38, 11. But if God should withdraw that restraining power, it would soon carry all afore it. Sin is the ruin and misery of the soul. It is destructive in its nature. And if God should leave it without restraint, there would need nothing else to man is to make the soul perfectly miserable. Unquote. It's what we call hell on earth. Have you ever experienced hell on earth? You have. And I have. It's called sin. Sin is hell on earth. Unless you and I believe that, we'll never forsake it. We will keep it. We will hide it in our heart. We will deny it and pretend it's not there. We'll try to cover up our sin instead of forsaking it and confessing it. Like Psalm says, David says, blessed is the man who doesn't cover up his sin, but he forsakes it, he confesses it, and that's the man who receives mercy. By the way, God used Jonathan Edwards in a mighty way to bring a great revival in the 1700s to people because he spoke of the judgment to come. Turn your Bibles with me to Revelation. In Revelation chapter 19, verse chapter 18 through 19, you can read about the judgment to come. But I want to point out this to you. Verse chapter 19, there is judgment that is coming to this world, but in the midst of this judgment, there are many 
all of those who have already been prejudged through the power of forgiveness have been redeemed and passed from death into eternal life are singing. That's amazing. Note this in chapter 19 of Revelation. After these things I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Doesn't that seem like a weird paradox to you? The saints are crying, Hallelujah, when God's judgment is coming upon the earth. Why do you believe they're crying Hallelujah? Because they have already been judged. And now are seeing the fruit of their judgment, eternal life. Verse 5, and a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat upon it called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire. And upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, To all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat 
the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and upon his army. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped him, his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the keys of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the abyss, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he should not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were completed. These things he must These things he must be released for a short time. After these things he must be released for a short time. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them. And judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Because of the testimony of Jesus. And because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed, blessed and holy is the one who has a part In the first resurrection, over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war, for the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who was who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophets are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne. And him who sat upon it. From whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. People without earth and without heaven. Only God to face. And I saw the dead the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books of life, in the books 
according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every one according to his, their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. This same Jesus, who in the end judges all men, John met at the beginning of writing this truth, the book of Revelation. And I want to show you that this same Jesus and his ministry to John in Revelation chapter 1. John, verse 9, I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I want you to get that. It was because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus because he was sharing the word of God with others that John was being persecuted. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, much like Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle and his head and his hair were white like wool like snow and his eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters and in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. The word of God, Hebrews 4 tells us, is a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And John seen this man, Jesus. And John falls on his face. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And what did Jesus do? This Jesus, the same Jesus. Because John seen Jesus and fell at his feet. He takes him by his right hand. And he lifts him up. And he says these words. Do not be afraid. I don't know about you. But when I meet this Jesus, I am afraid. I'm afraid because there's sin in me. I am a carnal man of flesh. And I still have sin in me. And when this Jesus speaks his sword, his word, the sword of the spirit, it pierces into my heart. And it convicts me of my sin. But when I, like John, fall on my face with repentance... 
And I confess my sin before Jesus. That's the reaction I get. And you do too. He doesn't stay on his throne. And look for your name in the book of life. Not yet. He takes. Comes off his throne. And he comes down. And he takes your hand. And he says rise up. Don't be afraid. And this same Jesus. Becomes our best friend. That's right. It's the same Jesus. Who is giving us these words. Who at the end of time. Is the same man. It's the man John saw. And Jesus says. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Same person. And the living one. I was dead and behold I'm alive. Forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of hell. Write therefore the things which you have seen. And he continues to reveal to John. The mysteries. And the truth of the future. When you and I come to this same Jesus. Not to a benevolent God who is a Santa Claus. Ready to give us nice gifts. But we come to Jesus The one who holds the keys of death and hell. The one who all judgment has been committed to. And we allow him to judge my life now. And all my sin comes before him. He becomes my advocate. 1 John 2. In if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And if you're sitting here today or listening to this word sometime and you think, I don't need that kind of judgment. I don't need this kind of Jesus. I'm okay. I've done a lot of good works. I'm just going to let myself weigh out in the balances. Then one day you will meet this Jesus. And you'll know you did need him to judge you in this life. All have sinned. Romans chapter 3 tells us, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us in the face of Jesus Christ are sinners. There is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. Psalm 14 is who Romans 3 is quoting. And he says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to look at you. He looks for something. To see if any, if there are any who seek after God. There's none, not even one. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who is doing any good. And the good that those who are doing, may I add, are trusting in their own goodness to get them to heaven. To let them pass from death into life. And you'll never go there. None of your goodness is good enough to usher you into eternal life. Only Jesus has that authority. In Ezekiel 18, chapter 4, he tells us, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, they're all mine. And the soul who sins will die. You sin, you will die. Now, just in case you're thinking, I'm not that bad. I want to give you two, two 
of the greatest commandments that Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. And here, this is an interesting scenario. Here comes a man who's a lawyer. He studies the law of God. He's not a lawyer as in the civil lawyer. He's a lawyer, they called in those days, in the Hebrew law. That's what he gave his occupation to. He studied the law of Moses. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Oh, you want to pass out of death into life? Do this. This is the great and foremost commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, verse 38. Matthew 22, verse 39. The second is like it, same equal. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you do that? Do you do that every day? Every, all your heart, all your mind, all your passion, your emotions, your feelings, your soul. You love God with everything you have every day. And everyone you see, you love just like you love yourself. Yes or no? Who wants to stand up and say, I do? Proclaim your own righteousness. Or do you lack? The lack of this is sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The greatest commandment that God has given to man is this. And you and I don't do it. We don't do that, do we? We fail. On these two commandments. Galatians chapter 5 tells us. On these. Jesus said. On these two commandments. Depend the whole law and the prophets. Galatians chapter 5 verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James chapter 2 tells us. That if we fail the law in one point. We're guilty of the whole law. And he uses a scenario. He says. What if you say, oh, I don't commit adultery, so I'm not guilty, but you just murdered somebody. Are you guilty? What if someone says, I don't murder, but I commit adultery. Is he guilty? So he says that if we have partiality, we make a difference of God's law in our hearts We take some, but don't obey the other. We excuse ourselves with some and try to obey the other. We sin and are guilty of the whole thing. Feeling guilty yet? I hope you are. Because you are guilty. I'm guilty. There's none righteous. Not even one. Who can escape this judgment. First John 1 verse 8. If we say we have no sin, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. That's what he said. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But 
If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just judgment to bring us into judgment. He is faithful and just. That means he'll do it every time and he'll do it right. Faithful means every time and he'll do it right every time. Jesus will. To forgive our sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Turn your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 2. By the way, before I go there, to substantiate my claim or my proclamation to you that God will and is angry at the sinner. I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 2. I preached this sermon years ago. Jason might remember it in Michigan. A little church there that he was a part of. And I remember very well after that sermon, a brother came up to me and he said, Phil, that, that's heavy. And you didn't substantiate it much with scripture. You just made the statement. He said, can you take me to the scriptures and show me that this word is true? He said, I believe it, but where is it in the scriptures? Because that's a heavy word to say that God is angry with the sinner. When we live in a Christianity that says, no, he's not. He loves you, but he hates your sin. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. He gets a little stronger in chapter 5, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. I'll begin in verse 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because these things, of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Titus. In Titus chapter 2, we have this good news called the gospel. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. I just read to you in Revelation the story, the future cast of what's going to this truth. And here, we, you and I, as Christians, as sinners, can say, we're looking forward to that day. That's crazy. How can you look forward to that day? Do you know what kind of a day it's going to be? In Joel... He tells us it's going to be a day of blackness, darkness, and lots of smoke. That's the kind of day it's going to be. 
I don't know about you, but this summer when we had the smoky days, you know, remember in, I think it was on Labor Day, and we were down here at the ball field playing ball, and it, it got darker and darker and darker because smoke from the fires over in the mountains were, was coming out over the plains, and, and eventually it started shielding out the brightness of the sun. It was a beautiful sunny day, but the smoke was turning it into dark, and I remember about mid-afternoon we were playing ball, and it got so dark, I wear prescription sunglasses. I had to take them off and go get my others. I could hardly see the ball anymore when it left the bat and trying to catch it. It was getting so dark. And it reminded me of those words in Joel. The day of the Lord will be a day of darkness. You're not going to be able to see anything. That's right, nothing. The sun will be turned to darkness. The sun's going to go out. The moon will turn into blood. Orange moon. And the air will be filled with smoke. Will you be one of these? Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. I will be. Will you? The reason I can confidently say I will be is because I am. I am one of those who is looking forward to that day because I have already been judged. All my sins have been judged in the face of Jesus whom John saw. I see him every day, this same Jesus. And with those piercing eyes, he looks into the depths of my soul and he sees my sin. But he gives me his hand and he says, do not be afraid. Come, come fellowship with me. And as I repent from my sins, and I allow him to take a coal from the altar of heaven as Isaiah did in Isaiah 6 and put it on my tongue and cleanse my language and clean up my thoughts and cleanse me from all sin, then and there, I look forward to this day. And you can too. If... You allow him to judge you today. And don't put it off for tomorrow. This Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from every lawless deed. And purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good deeds. And Paul says to Titus. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Are you speaking that? Fathers, are you sharing this word with your sons? Mothers, are you teaching your children this word? Are you telling your neighbors? Your brother, sister. Oh, I'm reading a book about a man. Back in the, I think it was in the 1700s. I forget his name now. I have his book back there. He was a miner back in England. And the miners in those days were a rough crowd. And he got born again. He met this same Jesus. And he was forgiven of his sin. And he was so passionately delivered. So beautifully and marvelously. That he became passionate about the word of Christ. And he said I must speak to every soul. The words of Jesus Christ. And he said his testimony was. No one prayed anymore. And so he. The Lord put this heart. A burden on his heart. Pray for people. Pray with people and so he began to do that everybody who came to talk to him 
He would lead them to prayer. He would lead them to Jesus. And he said whether they prayed or not was none of his business. But he was called to pray and lead men into Christ's presence. And I'll tell you honestly, my friends, that word convicted me deeply this week. And the Lord said to me, Phil, if you won't pray for this community, for these people, if you won't pray for people, how then will they hear my word? Who will? I've called you to prayer. Colossians chapter 4 says, devote yourselves to prayer. And the Lord has really convicted me with that word. And you can pray for me. Let's pray with people. Lead each other in prayer. We're coming to the throne of grace. As he tells us in Hebrews chapter. I'll turn my Bible to it. This is a wonderful word. And I don't have time to go through all of the verses that I have jotted down for you. And I apologize, by the way, for not having the notes that I've been passing out for you. My computer went down for the last 10 days. I've been without my computer. So. You have to bear with me. Maybe I can post these later for you. In Hebrews chapter 4, he says, Since then, verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. What to do then? Let us draw near. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace and help in our time of need. That's what we can do. Draw near to the throne of grace because he is a great high priest. In Hebrews 7 verse 25, Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for them. In Hebrews chapter 10, he tells us he'll set our conscience free from sin. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, let's turn your Bibles with me there. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you have your Bible or your iPhone or Samsung, Verse 1, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to give, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Now, you may be here today and think, yeah, good word, Phil. I know that. I've heard that. All my life. I did. I actually did. I grew up a preacher's son. My dad. uh, uh, Was preaching this book. Out of the same word of God. Before I was born. And so I grew up in the church. My first words. When I learned to read. Was God is love. I'll never forget it. Having that little reader. In our assignment in school. And at home. Learning to write that out. And yet. I find. Growing up in the church. In this Christian culture. Something in me. That is exactly who Jesus says I am. 
like the rest of mankind. And so I want to say to you, it doesn't matter what culture you grew up in, whether you grew up in a Christian home or whether you grew up in the slums on the streets. It doesn't matter if you've grown up hearing this book or not even knowing a word of it. We're all the same. There is none righteous, not even one. I have as much pride in my heart as the guy out on the street. I have as much sin nature in my heart. The natural thing for me to do is sin, just like anyone else. It's our natural man. And unless we allow Jesus, unless I personally come to Jesus and allow him to judge my natural man, that which is natural in me, and I say, yes, Lord, I agree. I am a sinner and I need a savior. I won't get one. I can live in the church all my life. I can even stand here and preach his word to you. But if I allow pride in my heart, or if I allow anger in my life, if I hide those sins in my heart, or if I have lust in my mind, in my eyes, and I allow that to remain in there, and I refuse to bring it to Jesus and let him judge it, and I fall on my face and confess like Isaiah did, I am a man of unclean lips, Lord. My tongue is wicked. James 3 says it sets the whole nature in a hellfire. That's how wicked it is. My tongue. Unless I let Jesus judge it and then control it. I submit it to his lordship like Isaiah did. He gave his tongue to the Lord and the Lord said... Put a coal on it. And he said, now I've cleansed it. Now go speak my words. And it changes my inner man from seeking to do my own will to now someone who does his will. That's what Peter is saying. Unless we do that, every one of us will be like these whom Peter talks about in Second Peter chapter 3. He says, I want you to know, beloved... That I'm writing to you to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. They want to stay the people they are. And saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep... All continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. I've heard that all my life. That day you read about, Phil, where is it? Didn't happen in my lifetime. Everything just kind of keeps on going. And yeah, presidents come and presidents go. And the world keeps going on. And you and I keep getting older. Are you one of those? Sitting here today thinking, oh, well, I'll make the best of it. Life will just keep on going. Or will you, my dear friend, with me today, take this word seriously, like Jonathan Edwards did, like many others who've gone on before us did, and they came to Jesus, the judge of all the earth, and they allowed him to judge their life. 
with his word and this book pierce their hearts and cut out the sin in their thoughts and their heart, the pride of their heart, the lustful thoughts, the angry emotions, and it cuts it away like a doctor's knife cuts cancer out of someone's inner body. And I'll tell you, when you and I do that, we find the greatest blessed life on earth. It's called forgiveness. And we live no more as a condemned sinner, a a criminal of sin, but we live a forgiven child of God. Forgiven child of God. Romans talks about this. Paul says in Romans 4, all this great blessedness, he calls it. David knew this forgiveness. He says in Psalm 32, how blessed is the man whose sin is purged away and his iniquity, God doesn't hold him in account to to him anymore. But you and I must be willing to come to Jesus as our judge. And then he becomes our advocate, our high priest. And he begins to make intercession with the Father. And he has the authority to forgive all of our sins. John Piper wrote these words in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. By the way, I highly recommend it. There's some more back there if you want to grab one and read it. You're welcome to it. They're back there on the table. He says this, My heart's plea, all that young and old would turn off the television, take a long walk, and dream about feats of courage for a cause 10,000 times more important than American democracy. As precious as that is. If we would dream and if we would pray, would not God answer? Would he withhold from us a life of joyful love and mercy and sacrifice that magnifies Christ and makes people glad in God? Are you missing that in your life? Some gladness in God? This is the way. Come to the Lord. John says, I plead with you as I pray for myself. Set your face like flint to join Jesus on the Calvary road. Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Hebrews 13. When they see our sacrificial love, radiant with joy, will they not say, Christ is great. And that's my prayer for my life and my prayer for your life. That every day we would allow the Lord Jesus to judge our sin so that he can forgive our sin and we can live this blessed life where all of my sins have been freshly judged and forgiven every day. And my conscience has been made clean not only with him, with them, with you. And I find that need in my heart every day, dear brother, sister. 
And if I say one day, I don't need your forgiveness, Jesus, I'm a liar and the truth is not in me, First John says. If I say we, I have no sin, I have sin that I must deal with every day. Sometimes it seems so little, you can ignore it. And I'll give you an illustration and then I'll close. This week, I don't even remember what we were doing, but I found myself uptight and a bit frustrated with the boys. And I kind of, I don't even remember how I acted it out, but I know I kind of got in their face in a frustrated way. Maybe the boys can actually tell you what I did, and they're free to do that. So my sins have already been judged. And I went to bed that night, and I think I had said a little bit something to you guys, maybe like, I'm sorry. But I went to bed that night, and the Lord said, and I'm sorry is not good enough, Bill. And you know it, that's sin. You sinned against your sons. You must go and repent. I wept on my bed that night. And I remember I kind of slept tossing and turning and coming before the Lord. And the Lord brought me this word. Phil, I am holy and I am just. And I stand here as your advocate with the Father. But you must come in complete repentance of this thing. And allow me to cut it out of your relationship with your sons. And even though I knew that they had kind of said, I forgive you, Dad. What really was gripping my heart was my relationship with them. It wasn't right, and I knew it. So the next morning, I went to both of them as I woke them up. I kissed them, and I said, I'm so sorry. I remember Michael, I think he said to me, well, I already forgive you, Dad. That was sweet. But I needed a genuine repentance. And I asked them to do something for me. I said, Michael. And then later I went to Lucas. I said, will you pray for dad? Just right now, pray for me. Because I need your prayers. And they both prayed for me. And when they prayed, heaven opened. It was like I had an Isaiah experience all over again. A call from the altar touched my tongue and set me free. Will you do this? Or will you say today, I have no need of sin. I'm okay today. I did pretty good today. Or do you really see Jesus like John seen him? And are you willing to come to that throne of grace? Allow him to take his word and pierce your heart and deliver you and pass from death to life I passed from experience that is death with our boys into eternal life an experience that brought eternal life into our relationship and I want that every day with everyone this is how we fulfill the greatest two commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. Not through doing it perfectly and saying, I have no sin. But by seeing our great need and coming to Jesus and allowing him to judge it 
and then repent from it. Confess it. And you know what he does? He is faithful every time to cleanse me from all unrighteousness and to forgive all my sin. And then when I rise up, I don't rise into judgment. I rise into eternal life because I passed away. Old things pass away. All things become new. And now I, with all those other saints, can say, yes, Lord, even so come, Lord Jesus. Even though the day will be a horrible day physically, a scariest day you ever lived in your life, your spirit will be set free because you have that relationship with him. And you're free from all your sins. They've already been judged.